Hey everyone, this is Helene from Coming From The Heart Podcast, an inspirational and motivational podcast about mental health, mindfulness, speaking your truth, and never feeling alone. Going out this summer with friends should be really, really fun. You don't want to worry about drink spiking and roofing. That's why I partnered with Nightcap, the drink spiking preventative solution, as seen on Shark Tank. Their cool, innovative products slip over the top of a cup or bottle, and voila, safety in a second. They got you covered. So definitely check them out with their cool, innovative products and great gear for summertime. Please use promo code CFTH for 20% off your purchase. Hey there, coming from the Hart family. I got Casey Hallen hanging in with us, who is an amazing person. Not only is she a mom, she's a mom of two. She's a baker. She's from Connecticut. And I came across her. I know you guys are going to be shocked here, but on Instagram, because Instagram is where I find my most favorite people ever. So I just want you to get some time to know Casey. And Casey, how are you doing tonight? I'm great. I'm great. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> I am excited to have you here. So let's let's talk here. Casey, I came across your page and I thought, who is this woman? First of all, I love baking. I love to eat any type of baked goods. I have a gluten allergy, so it is a little challenging for me mm-hmm. now with stuff. I saw the reference to Z100 and I go, <laughs> okay, I want her to come on. We got a lot of similar things that we uh, connect about. And Z100, Scary Jones actually came onto the podcast right in the beginning. My daughter and I just started out and he was so kind to come on to say hi to us with Cher. We had a really nice interview. So I go, okay, I got to figure out what she's doing with Z100. She's baking some cakes for them. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> let's, let, let, let's talk to you, Casey. So first of all, tell everybody who you are. I gave a little intro, mm-hmm. a but give us some background. What's going on with you? So as you said, I am a teacher mainly in the arts for high school students. I'm a mom and I, as a side hustle, I bake custom cakes and that's my joy. That's what I do as my passion. I always like doing something artistic on the side. And what I love about cakes is it doesn't stick around. So, you know, I used to do paintings or fiber arts, and then you'd end up with a pile of stuff. And what are you supposed to do with it? And so cakes are great because there's always somebody who's willing to eat it. And then it's gone. And then you can make another one. So that's what I do as my hobby. And in 2019, I filmed a reality baking competition show, Great Chocolate Showdown, which I won. And that sort of changed the whole trajectory of my life and my my mindset about who I was as a person and what I was able to accomplish. So I, I, I've gone through everything now with this sort of shoot your shot mentality, which is how I got in the mix with C100, even for just a little bit. So that's sort of me in a nutshell. I love it. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I, as I said, yeah, I was so questioning, like, how did she get to where she is? Because there's always, a, there's always a narrative. There's always a story. Mm-hmm. And I guess the first thought, which is coming to my mind, you're an artist by heart, clearly. Yes. Yeah. So art, artwork, 
etc. Baking, baking is art. Yes. So tell us a little bit how that came into your life. So I've I've always baked. It was something I always enjoyed doing. I mean, I found it very easy to connect with people through my baking. So I would bake cookies every Sunday night in high school, bring them in the next day. We called it Cookie Monday. I swear it's the only reason I passed high school chemistry class. And uh, that was sort of my go-to for a really long time. I would just bake cookies all the time. And then eventually we had relatives who had young kids and they asked me, hey, would you be interested in making birthday cakes for them? And I turned to YouTube. I taught myself how to make cakes and how to decorate them more importantly. And so a bunch of years practicing that, getting better and better every year, and then getting on this reality show, which was essentially baking boot camp. <laughs> so I love looking at like where I was skill level wise before the show versus after. And it's like night and day. The show gave me the confidence to do more of what I love to do. So before I was only decorating cakes a couple of times a year for relatives, and I felt like I wasn't good enough to sell what I was doing and to do it for people who didn't know me. Because there's always that part of you, that imposter syndrome, that's just like, oh, they're only saying that they like it because I'm related to them. They don't actually, like, it's not, it's not that good. But when you end up winning a, re a reality baking competition, you kind of can't tell yourself that anymore. So I got home, I got a cottage food license, and I've been now baking fairly regularly for local families in Connecticut. And it's been really great. And it's the place where I can clear my mind. And I really do consider each cake is like working on a painting. And it just, it's my Zen moment. Incredible. I love your story. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I And going back to the imposter syndrome. And yeah, all of us are like, oh, you know, not all of us. Um, let me clarify. There's people that don't have imposter syndrome. But I believe even though I exude positivity and who I am, I absolutely have a little bit of that. Am I good enough to be able to do this? Or wow, I'm in it. Holy shit. How do I perform to rise even higher than my expectations of myself? And I believe that's what people like us or people out there that have this insecurity of how far we can possibly go, because maybe we were told when we were a child that, oh, you might not be good enough for that. But as an adult, yeah. we hope to morph into something else, but we do bring a little bit of that child with us, if you just want to give some thoughts on that. Yeah, well, and I think especially as women, you know, we're not told as often that we're allowed to take up spaces that we can excel in these leadership roles. We're told we're bossy. We're told keep it down, keep quiet, keep to yourself. We're less likely to volunteer for something right at the get-go where a lot of us are less risk takers. We don't put ourselves out there as often because society has conditioned us to take a step back. And so it's taken a lot of effort to tell myself, I constantly have these voices going in my head and telling myself, no, just go for it. Make that phone call, send that email. What is the worst that can happen? I have two little girls. And I think becoming a mom and raising the two of them and knowing what they're going to face just as women in this world has 
definitely caused me to look at how I speak to them, what I say, and what kind of example I want to give them, you know, as the kind of person I am. Yes. Yes to everything that you just yeah. said. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, and yes. I just had a women's empowerment gathering. Where were you? You have to come on to the next. <laughs> Because we're going to put a series out there, Casey, and the coolest voices of empowerment. I had CEOs, I had people that had all different types of brands come together in a two-part series just to talk on what we're talking about now. Mm-hmm. And we exude this positivity of strength and clearly the pod, what the podcast has taught me in the last three years is to just keep straight ahead like an arrow. I never look to the left. I never look to the right. I started the podcast with not knowing much about anything regarding social media. But what I did know is that I had had gone through my own mental health struggles and I wanted a voice to empower others. Mm-hmm. And speaking in this conversation about mental health and empowerment and having young daughters, and I have a daughter of myself as well, to be that leader to go forward and try, I think is what you have on your Instagram. Yeah. Never be afraid because what's the worst that's going to happen? I say that every right. day to my kids or to my husband. So I'll be back to where I was. And that was really an okay place, you know, teaching yeah. grad school, teaching, doing whatever. But to have that initiative is your superpower. It absolutely is your superpower. So let's talk about this show, Winner of Great Chocolate Showdown, season one, Hulu. Mm-hmm. Now, oh my God. Like, first of all, I, well, I can't say I'm as active as I used to be watching the Food Channel because I think now mm-hmm. social media, I have a friend who's a food blogger who's yeah, whatever in the gluten world and a couple of people that I've connected to on this platform with that. But I used to be like a Guy Fieri fanatic, like I <laughs> or like baking contests. But I think in a certain spaces, it's become, I want to hear your spin on this, even though clearly you won. It's become a little bit saturated with it. Yes. Um, oh, it's very yeah. saturated. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even when I was on the show and then after I had these big like thoughts, these dreams of what was my life going to be, like I'm going to be recognized on the street. No. <laughs> It's like a really cool thing to put on my my resume and my headline, my bio on Instagram, but I'm not going into viral territory. I still I don't have that blue tick on Instagram, you know, that kind of thing. But I have to look at it for me personally, it was still an amazing experience and I met amazing people through it. So I still talk pretty regularly to the other contestants that were on the show, T who was on the show with me, um, was actually over last night. We hung out and he's now on another show. So it just, it's fun meeting these people in these spaces, but it's definitely, it's a very saturated market. There's a ton of baking and cooking competitions out there. And you see a lot of the same faces on a lot of them. So maybe, you know, there's another show in my future. (laughs) No, well, yeah, yeah. As you're speaking, I see this light. I see this spark of you, like glowing. Yeah, because my God, you won. And so let's talk about how you got to the competition. Let's talk about sending in that email, like what happened? I want to hear like all that stuff. Yeah, so I just, I remember being at my parents' house. I just had my one daughter at the time. She was really little and a friend was over too. And we were watching some 
show and they had an advertisement for the Great American Baking Show. So American version of Great British Bake Off. And they were like, you know, you should really apply for that. And I just, you know, the little self-doubt that goes off in my mind was just turned off. It was looking away. It was distracted. I don't know. And so it's like, yeah, sure, let's do it. And so I, I filled out the application. It took about an hour. They're very lengthy applications and there's a video element that you have to submit. And I submitted it, not thinking anything of it. And about like a few days later, I got a call from that production company. I got through the first round. They wanted to do an interview with me and they wanted to give me a baking quiz, which I passed. And then what ends up happening is your headshot, like all that stuff goes into a giant pile and it's sort of luck of the draw if you get picked for the next round, which I didn't. But it made me think like the fact that they picked me out of thousands and thousands of people was pretty amazing. I wonder what else is out there. And I did a search for amateur baking competitions. And this show popped up at the time it was called, it had a working title of Chocolate Masters. And I am not a chocolatier or I wasn't a chocolatier. I had never tempered chocolate before, but I, it was what popped up for amateur baking. I submitted again, oh, nothing's gonna come of this. I got the call, I got an audition. I did a like a whole test bake where I had to bake on camera while talking to somebody. And every single stage, I said to my family, they're not going to call me back. They're going to say, thanks, no thanks. And then all of a sudden, I was getting in a phone call, like, tell, you know, work that you're not going to be there for three weeks. Here's your hotel. Here's your flight. Here's the information. And every step of the way, I was like, oh, I'm not going to be gone three weeks. A week, maybe, maybe, but I'll be back. Like, come on. And then I got out there and I was almost like I was so focused on the fact I was doing this kind of crazy thing. I was flying to Toronto by myself in a hotel room by myself. And I remember being in the hotel room and not feeling anxious. And it was the first time I had convinced myself that I couldn't travel by myself because I would have panic attacks in the past when I would. And I just felt amazed, like, oh my God, I'm doing this. And I'm in this completely unknown situation and I feel okay. And that was really, a, I think, a turning point for me and, and just being able to face the next three weeks of what I went through was that first night being okay with being by myself and in a completely unknown situation. I do suffer from panic attacks and anxiety and my main trigger is anticipation and like the anticipation of what's to come. And so to not have anxiety in that moment was, I still like don't quite know why I didn't experience panic at that point, but I didn't. And I was there for the full three weeks. <laughs> Amazing. And first of all, thank you for sharing your personal journey of having panic attacks and anxiety. Yes. But you found your place of your peace. Mm -hmm. And through all the different things that you've experienced possibly in the past, you knew in your core that you were absolutely going to rock this. <laughs> maybe not like consciously or maybe subconsciously, because I'm sure you probably knew that you had the ability to do so. And I believe that anxiety and all the other stuff, you build these narratives in your head yeah. that you can't 
And that's really the aspect of anxiety that, gosh, the world needs to get through that holds you back, that puts you in a bubble. And that moment of being in that hotel room was like, I made it. I can do this. I mean, you had a baking test. I mean, (laughs) what was that about? What they asked you? So that was for the the Great American Baking Challenge. And they want, my guess is that, you know, they want to make sure when you get to, I think it's called, is it I forget, what the technical challenge that like second bake where you don't know anything about the recipe, you don't know what you're going to make or anything, um, and you have to have a certain skill level. So they were asking questions like, what's a ban Marie or what has a higher water content, American or European butter? <laughs> I failed. I have no idea. (laughs) So I didn't like truly know that, but I took an educated guess that American butter had higher water content because just, (laughs) and I was right. So, you know, that was a good guess. (laughs) I love that. Right. But that was for some, that wasn't actually for this particular show, but I was just in general. But that's just having that moment of like, aha, I can like do this, you know, is. Yeah. I knew I was going to have fun. Even if I got went home first, I knew I was going to have a lot of fun because I was doing something I enjoyed doing, you know, and then the fact I was very lucky that the other nine competitors that I was with were so fantastic. And the first two days of being on set are like wardrobe fittings and hair and makeup trials. And they do like all these promo photos and video type things. So the competition didn't start until like day three or four. And it felt like I was like calling home and telling them all about it. And they're like, this sounds like camp. Like, it sounds like you're in camp. <laughs> so, you know, it, it was fun. We all bonded and were very supportive of each other, which was really helpful. Amazing. No, that's, that's awesome. Cause you never know, you could have people that you're really feeling that, that, ugh, that angst, oh, yeah. you know, competition, you know, and the fact that I just was taking some notes here, like you, you, it's almost, you have this community oh, yeah. that you've met, which is fantastic. And then, you know, anybody out there, of course, and coming from the heart world, listening to this, you guys can do whatever you want to do, just do it and yeah. get through that angst or those moments where you're just like, oh my God, I'm not sure. I mean, that was me today. I'm taking on a new venture and it's scary. It's really scary but go for it like what do you have to lose I mean right. and and speaking to you I could just see in your face that oh my god like I did this so okay so you got to the hair and worship and then what happened next so you got onto the show and then how many days did you do what you did or so it was it was a three-week just boot as I said boot camp super stressful like it is definitely as stressful as they make it seem there's a lot of editing that takes place as well. And the fact that we were the first season, there was a lot of things that they didn't know the mechanics of as we were going. They had these thoughts that the first episode would be filmed over two days so they could kind of work out some of the kinks. And then every other episode would be filmed in one day. We did one day of that. It was like a 6.30 a.m. to I think 1 a.m. Oh my God. And they were like, yeah, we can't do this. So then the whole schedule got shot because they can't really go past that three week mark. So it was very, very stressful. I keep in touch. I speak to people who have been on subsequent seasons of it. Season four is going to be premiering August 5th, I think on the CW. So there's been a 
a number of us at this point. And they definitely, they worked out the kinks in our season, in our season for sure. Yeah. So <laughs> we, yeah, we had to endure quite a bit being the first season. Gosh. All right. Okay. <laughs> All right, Casey, let's, let's hear behind the scenes. People are running around. And then like, of course, if you've never been in front of a camera, like I want to hear that take. hair, makeup, you're looking good. Which camera I look at? All that stuff. Give us, give a little bit of highlight on that. Yeah. So the hardest thing is when you're standing there, there's a lot of downtime in the filmmaking world. And this is something I know from my background. I spent a couple of years out of school in the filmmaking world before I realized it was not for me. So I, I knew some of there's a lot of hurry up and wait. You get ready, you're on set, you're standing there, and then you're just standing around. And what you're seeing at home is a very small bit that the judges, the hosts have to say things over and over. There's a lot of standing and smiling and your face hurts and you kind of want to fall over because <laughs> you're so tired. And then they say, go. And you have maybe five minutes, maybe to quickly think of what you're going to do because you don't know the challenge ahead of time but you think really quickly and then it's game time. That timer starts and when you're in it, and this is one of the things that they tested us on during that audition, that interview process, you just have to talk what you're doing. So you're talking through it. You kind of forget that there's all these cameras around you, especially when you're so focused on what you're doing. Occasionally you'll go like run to go do something and a camera person will be in your way and then you'll remember that they're there but you're narrating what you're doing. You're talking about everything and you get very used to that rhythm. It's weird, the first challenge, and then you just get into it and you're so focused on what you're doing that you kind of filter out everything else. I love so, it. I, yeah. Teacher, teacher, Casey, would you say it's teacher mode? Teacher. Oh yeah. Yes. A hundred percent. So there you go. <laughs> you have the experience, you know, of that. So take us to the moment what you made, and obviously you won. So let's hear what you made, and let's hear a little bit about that. Well, so it was multiple episodes. So there's eight episodes, and every episode has two challenges. So I was doing two bakes a day some days. They were about, I think, an hour and a half or so long challenges. The finale was, I think, five hours we had to make four different things. And they kept wanting us, they wanted to see our growth. So my very first cake I made was a chocolate cake with a strawberry American buttercream and a tempered chocolate paintbrush that looked highly inappropriate on the cake. And that was what I did. That was it. That was my first cake. Towards the end of it, I started doing things like dessert tacos with a buttered popcorn pastry filling and brownie pieces on top with a lacy tweel, I didn't know what a lacy tweel was before the show, a lacy tweel cookie shell dipped in tempered chocolate. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. So the level of the desserts definitely transformed from day one till the end. <laughs> so did they tell, they gave you these instructions of like what to make, obviously. You weren't just winging it with that, I mean, or. No, so we would get these challenges. Like, so we had one challenge where it was snack food. So we drew at random 
picked out of a hat, I got buttered popcorn and I had to make a dessert based on that. And we had figured out after a couple of challenges that the best strategy was to go into each bake knowing what you wanted to make and then adapt it for the challenge. So, you know, you're on set a lot and they have set up all of the different plating. It's the same plating every challenge. So you're looking quite a bit as you're just deciding, you know, how do you want to plate your dish? And I remember seeing these taco holders. And so I was just like, I want a dessert taco. Like, I don't know, just something I want to do. So it's something I thought about. And so when I went in and I found out, okay, we're going to be using snack foods and then buttered popcorn. I knew at that point I had learned how to infuse flavor, variety of different things. So if when you're baking, if you have a liquid element to whatever you're making, you can infuse flavor into that liquid and then use it, cool it down, use it in your bake. So for a pastry cream, I took the heavy cream for the pastry cream and steeped like a whole bag of popcorn into that and some like cubes of butter to really push that butter flavor. And then you strain out the popcorn and you're left with popcorn flavored heavy cream that can then be used in something else oh my god I'm sitting here thinking (laughs) holy shit that's crazy that's crazy I mean chocolate chip cookies and maybe a cake here (laughs) of 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 baking but I want to hear about the the last item that you made and then what happened and you won did the confetti come down on you were you yes screaming yeah I want to hear it We want to hear it. Yes. So, okay. So the last challenge was we had to make a bake shop display. So we had to make bonbons, filled bonbons. We had to do six identical small desserts and we had to do a, some sort of centerpiece display. And we had to do a redo of our very first bake. So I decided for mine, I really liked for all of my desserts telling a story through what I was doing. There had to be a connection between visually and the flavors, and there had to be a story throughout. So for my bake shop, I went with the artist storyline. And so each of my was connected to my celebration of the and my family. So I had bonbons that were hand-painted with little carrots, and they were filled with, we call it carrot pie. It's something we make every holiday. My showpiece was a cake that was filled with coconut macaroons, which I make every uh, Passover. And it was decorated with these chocolate sails that were painted to look like sketchbook pages of the other desserts that were on my display. I had little cookies and milk inspired dessert cups that had chocolate cheesecake. And then the redo of that strawberry cake that I mentioned earlier was an artist palette that was made out of white chocolate. And it had these mousse domes, strawberry chocolate mousse domes on the painter's palette to look like the paint. And they were covered in mirror glaze of all of like the different primary colors. Oh my God. Okay. All I have to say <laughs> is when are you making me, Casey, my next <laughs> my next cake? So give us the seconds. You won. What was going through your head? So what was interesting is 
for every other episode when we had to do judging, we were all in the room. We all heard what the judges had to say. So we heard the good, the bad, everything. And then in, you would go into holding with all the other contestants and we would kind of talk about it. Like, oh, like, who do we think? You know, or how are we feeling? We would debrief. For the finale, that didn't happen. We weren't in the room with each other. So we were kept we were kept separate until after judging. And then we came back together and we were kind of rehashing. And I remember the other two contestants, Renu and T, were like, oh, it went really well. I think it went well. And I went in there. I was like, oh, I didn't win, but I had a great time. Like, I remember saying that. Like, I'm proud of what I did, but I know I didn't win. That was kind of all I said. And I remember getting there into judging, walking up. You feel so nervous. And they had told us, they were like, just so you all know, there's a confetti cannon. It's there and there. So it's going to go off when they announce the winner, just so you know. It is still just as frightening <laughs> when it goes off, even if you know it's there. But they, you know, they said the winner of Great Chocolate Showdown is. And then there's this really long pause. And it's long on TV, like they milk it, but it's even longer when you're standing there and they even repeat it. So you'll be standing there and Anna Olson, who was the judge who gave the decision was like, and the winner is, and the winner is, and you're just like, oh my God. And she, I remember she looked right at me and I was like, what's happening right now? Oh and she God. said my name and my hands went to my face. The confetti cannons went on and they called them a handler, it's a woman whose job it was to like make sure that we had everything we needed, that we were taken care of. I think it was her. She came over and she was like, Casey, you have to pull your hands from your face. We have to see your face. And I just remember the confetti. And because it was the very first season, there were so many people on the set right after, like all these execs from Food Network Canada and families of the crew and there was just so many people everywhere and then they whisked me away to interview and I think it was like 1 30 a.m by the time we were completely done <laughs> oh my I, oh I'm gonna clap and say congratulations <laughs> thank you <laughs> and that was 2020 2019 that was 2019 that we filmed right and then what was really insane was I missed orientation for my school so like the opening meetings for work and my boss knew where I was I had to tell our head of school hey I'm going to be filming this thing which they were okay with and I had been there I just finished off my 11th year so I had been there long enough I knew like the orientation stuff so I wasn't missing a ton but we finished filming Saturday at 1 a.m I flew home Sunday and Monday I was at work oh my god and I couldn't tell anybody what had just happened to me. No one, except for my boss, nobody knew I was there. Oh my God. <laughs> and not only was I there, but I won. Oh my God. And what? so I was just like, what? Like, because it hasn't been out yet, right? That's <laughs> It's not announced at all. Like it's not announced that I'm on it. Like nothing. I can't say anything about it. You sign these NDAs. You yes. can't talk about it. Uh, like I even I had a phone call from the head exec and you don't get your check until after the show airs so he called me he was like don't say anything because if this gets leaked and we trace it back to you like you won't get paid basically so you're just like I'm not saying anything <laughs> you're, and I remember the day that it was announced that 
the show is happening and my participation in it. I actually had in my middle school class at the time, this kid who had been on MasterChef Junior. So he's familiar with that world. And literally the announcement came out. Five minutes later, I had this class with this kid that I ran and I was like, guess what? <laughs> I told them about it. I, I was like running around the building. I was so obnoxious. Oh, no, no. oh my God. Oh my God. Guess what, everybody? Oh and I got to like kind of share war stories with him yeah. a little bit because he had been through a very similar experience. Wow. So that was that was wild. And it started airing in early 2020. So we got to do watch parties as a school. So I would bake something from the episode and all the students, we would all get together. Oh and it was so cool. So fun. It was so cool. Wow. Um, You're like, oh, and wow. then unfortunately the pandemic hit. There we go. So. <laughs> well, yeah. at least you had a little bit before. That's all I have to say. I did. I did. We had uh, we had plans for a finale party. And I actually, I had a candy bar that I got to design with Purdy's, which is one of the biggest chocolate companies in Canada. You can still buy it. It's sold throughout Canada. And I was supposed to fly out. That was the seventh episode, which aired the first week of lockdown. I originally was supposed to go to Toronto and do this whole like mall handshaking tour <laughs> that did not happen. Oh, uh, well, yeah. maybe next time. Just an incredible story. Well, I mean, I'm like living it vicariously through you as I see the <laughs> so how has it changed you how has this experience I mean we talked we touched on that a little bit in the beginning of, the, of our chat in personal yeah. in your professional you mentioned going for possibly a next show endeavor yeah it's given me more confidence in a lot of different aspects of my life I remember being back at work and it was the first time I didn't experience imposter syndrome. I felt like I was kicking butt at everything I was doing. And I just felt empowered. I felt powerful. I felt like I can do this. And that feeling stayed around for quite a while. As I said, I did get my cottage food license. I have a side hustle going, making custom cakes. And that was something I never thought I was good enough to do before incredible the imposter syndrome has come back my anxieties have come back right that kind of high that I had from being on the show has dwindled over the years but I'm able to recall how I felt at that moment um, which is how actually I got involved I love with that. Z100 in the first place yeah okay so let's talk Z100 mm -hmm. how did they get to you how did you get to them yeah, so I listen to Z100 every single morning, driving to work. You know, I listen to the phone taps, the around the room, all of that. And one day they were talking about producer Sam had just picked the date and wedding venue for her wedding. Oh, my God. And I called in. Wow. I just called. There was a voice inside of me that was like, you should call and ask if you can make her wedding cake. Because who does that? I was just like, what's the worst that can happen? And I called. And because there wasn't a contest going on, they picked uh, straight Nate actually answered the phone. <laughs> I love it. And I said, hi, my name is Casey. I want to bake a cake for Sam's wedding. And he said, well, you know, I'll give her your info, but would you like to bake a cake for my wedding? Oh my God. Like I'm getting married soon. I was like, sure. Give me a call. He's like, I'm going to, he took down my information. He's like, I'm going to give you a call later today. Like, cool. He didn't, but all of a sudden, like a few days, a few weeks later, I get a text from him saying, hey, this is straight me. I don't know if it's still possible, but I'm getting married in a week. I love that. Could you still make my wedding cake? And when 
somebody, when the executive producer for Z100 messages you about making a wedding cake in a week, you do it. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. So I did. Um, And from there, I ended up also doing producer Sam's engagement wedding cake. And we stayed in touch and they started talking about Danielle's 50th birthday. Was it 50th or 40th? I think it was 50 because I, I think it was 50. She looks, I mean, she, you would never know. She looks absolutely incredible. And uh, so I was texting with Nate and it's like, Hey, what if I made Danielle's cake? And he's like, yeah, I was thinking that. So I came up with the concept. We scheduled it all out. My dad picked me up at 5.30 a.m. or something like that on a Wednesday. We drove into the city. There was no traffic. (laughs) He waited outside while I carried in this behemoth of a cake. And I set it up and everyone is like kind of coming out of the studio. And they're like, oh, you know, I am, you know, scary. I'm, you know. This is Elvis. I was like, yes, I, I know who you all are. <laughs> and then they, I love this. Nate, like tapping on the shoulder. He's like, do you want to go on air with Elvis? <laughs> like, I, yes. <laughs> and I guess I got to sit there. I got to put on the headphones and Elvis Duran is sitting across from me and he has the golden microphone. And my one regret is that I didn't take like any pictures while I was there. Cause I was so, I could not believe when I was there. And then I got back into the car. My dad said I was smiling ear to ear. I could not stop smiling. We drove back to Stanford. I hopped into my car and then I went to work. And I was there for homeroom. I was there the full day. I am just <laughs> laughing because I thought elementary, middle, ESL teacher, college, <laughs> and you just was, it's like you were a superwoman. And- yeah. Blew back with your cape and yep. you <laughs> your normal life. So tell That's, me, yeah, I want to, yeah, it, it really, yeah. it feels like you have this like secret life or something like um, that, I except that. I won't shut up about it. <laughs> oh God, I I'm just inhaling what you're saying and like vicariously living this for the moment. What was it like? Because I've always wanted to be in the C100 studio. I did speak to Scary. Scary, I did speak to you. He once in a while throws me something and whatever. I'm not sure if he 100% knows who I am, but <laughs> it must have been so surreal. There's the word. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because these are people that I've gr- grown up listening to. You know, you've seen now with social media, right? You see what they look like, right? There's videos and everything of them all the time. And I don't know. It's just like, it's super weird. I remember even like dropping off Nate's wedding cake to him when that happened and he's talking to me. And I almost felt like I wanted to close my eyes while I was talking to him because it's really weird seeing their faces in front of you with the voice. I was also amazed at, how wonderful they all looked like they were all dressed so well and meanwhile like I'm sitting here in sweatpants right now <laughs> you know like if I was on the radio like I just can't I mean Danielle I remember was wearing like these beautiful shoes these beautiful heels they all just looked fantastic and it, they were all so nice and that studio was really cool it's smaller than I imagined it would be like they make it seem really really large on all the videos but it was so cool it was so cool. And anytime they want me back. (laughs) I'm coming with you. 
Uh, yeah, I'm coming with you, Casey. You know, I'll I'll hold the box for the cake. Or, yeah, you'll be my cake assistant. Yeah, I'll be the cake assistant. I'll be like, oh, by the way, remember my podcast? Maybe I can talk to you about <laughs> mental health. Oh my God, what a cool story. So what's your next venture before we wrap this up? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, as I said, I would love to do another show one day. I think right now doing a multi-episode kind of thing would be a little much. Actually, my friend T was on Great Chocolate Showdown with me. He was also a finalist. He's actually on Crime Scene Kitchen right now. And he had asked me to do it with him, but it's like four weeks in April, which as a teacher and two little kids, that was not going to be a possibility, but maybe like a one episode thing. And I would love to do another multi-episode in the future. It's really, it's very, very stressful, but it is a lot of fun. <laughs> no. And I think that's what everyone needs to really know out there that yeah. anytime that you see anything in any type of production, and I've learned that in the last three years doing this gig of mine, the podcast, it's all looking so beautiful on social media or whether it's television, et cetera. But the backstories of what goes on behind is so much, is so, so much. Yeah. So, you know, people don't really realize that unless you're in the industry. So, you know, and yeah, and everyone is so passionate about it, right? Like they're there for a reason from the people like the other competitors, but then also the crew, they're there because they love doing some aspect of it. And it's really fun to surround yourself with people who really, truly enjoy and are passionate about what they do. Well, you definitely are passionate about what you do. And I <laughs> think that you've discovered your why and your how, because it seems as you are a creative at heart, that this world that you entered into is something that you probably always clearly had innately within yourself. It just got expanded based yeah. on the fact that you've won the show and that you evolved to this. If we said in the beginning, just go for it. Yeah. Just do it, right? Just do it. Just mm -hmm. do it. So lastly, we have a segment called Heart to Heart. A Heart to Heart is a situation that you've been in your life. It could have been something in your personal as a child, as a young adult, something with your family, your kids that has enamored you in a way that has just made you feel loved and seen. I know it's a loaded one. Yeah. I mean, I've been very lucky that my family were very close knit. We've had a rough few years right before my daughter was born. We had two very close family members that passed away fairly soon after one another and seeing just my whole family come together and be there for each other. I don't have any siblings. I'm an only child. And it's just, we understand that we're not all going to be here forever. And so we all make sure to support each other and be there for each other through everything. And that's been, you know, the one sort of, I think, silver lining out of everything that happened. Is just being reminded of that. Oh, Casey, that's so beautiful. And I think people need to think more about that and bring kindness to yeah. whoever you touch. I'm doing so much of kindness in my own space, thinking differently about things that once may have, I thought differently, but just to have a kindness moment every day and to touch communities where kindness maybe isn't so much seen and just to care about 
people around you. And I think that's yeah, just yeah, just be kind and right and show love all over. I just I don't know if this is like too political of a story for your podcast, but I took my daughters to a drag story hour recently for pride and then my eldest daughter to a drag brunch and it was so much love and so much support and it was so much fun and so beautiful and those kind of moments are just you know looking for those moments in your life and creating those moments if they're not there seeking them out it was fantastic Casey you definitely have defined a unique individual who cares so much about your community, about people and everyone around you. Your students must absolutely love you. I can't even <laughs> them like just saying anything but awesome stuff about you and what you do and what you do for your school and having this other side gig of what you do with cakes. You got to keep doing that because we need oh absolutely we need to be eating really good cake. And what I'm just gonna say <laughs> is if you can spice in a little bit, you know, I'll use the word spice in um, a little bit of the gluten stuff that. Um, I, oh, I could do gluten-free. Yes. I would be right there ordering it because it is so, so challenging. I have gone through many challenges of allergies, uh, gluten and soy and paprika, all these weird things have popped oh, up. Wow. Yeah. Well, I, I, paprika definitely doesn't come up in my baking <laughs> a ton. Not ruling it out. No. Like I will bake with any, I've made a Cheeto cake before, so I'll make oh a cake gosh. out of anything. Well, but. I'm going <laughs> to keep you, I'm going to yeah, definitely to that because I would love, love one of your cakes, a gluten cake, yeah. with no soy, sign me up. Um, okay. Time. My daughter and I are always seeking out gluten-free something, no eggs, no this, no that. So we're going to count on you for our next baking moment. So okay, definitely. But you have made me smile. My face is hurting from this interview because you are just such a cool person to be around and you've touched thank my you. heart clearly. So thank you so much for taking your time because you're a very busy person to come say <laughs> And I hope that we can continue these conversations in the absolutely world, in the mental health world and just keep doing you, Casey. And uh, thank you so much for being here. Have a good night. We'll talk soon. You Casey. too. Bye. Bye. Please check out my episodes on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and weekly Instagram Lives where I am honored with talented, exceptional guests. Can't wait to see you all there.